Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. It's Monday, October 30th, and today we're going to talk about how the big boys trade assets, right? Uh, for us mere mortals, we have to use a regular exchange to do so. Typically, when you're trading stocks, you go onto a brokerage account, you fire off your order, and then it goes through a bit of machination. Uh, it'll get swapped through the exchange, and then the securities get delivered to you. But what if you have a couple of billion dollars that you need to buy some bonds, you need to buy some stocks, uh, just to buy a bunch of stuff? If you're if, if you're doing that right, you you just can't place a billion dollar order right at right at the market, right? Like the market makers will see it, everybody pulls liquidity back, everybody knows that you're trying to buy and you'll get a much worse execution price just because people know that you're buying in size and that they can widen up the the bid or the ask uh, on the on the assets that you're trying to buy uh, so that you're forced to buy at a higher price. And so several years back, back in the 60s, um, people started trading with what's known as dark pools. And dark pools are these like private, independently operated, uh, exchanges that are, are run by uh, essentially independent companies, right? Private networks. And they allow institutional investors who want to be able to do like block trades where they're, you know, they have a specific amount of uh, assets they want to buy or sell uh, to be able to swap back and forth, right? And so uh, these have become pretty prevalent in for large institutions to trade with uh, because they allow for privacy and they allow for large trades to be uh, filled. And so we don't really have a system like that yet, specifically in crypto. I mean, we have, uh, and more specifically in DeFi, right? Like in DeFi, if you're going to go fire off a trade, uh, it's going to be through like Uniswap or it's going to be through Curve or any other public uh, venue, right? And the issue with this is that when you fire off these trades, you know, they get added into the mempool. You're going to have uh, like, there's going to be MEV, right? You may get front ran, you may get back ran. Uh, there's all sorts of things where your trade execution probably could be more optimal, uh, but isn't because you're using a public network. And so uh, there are several projects out there that are, that are trying to figure out a solution for this. And we've brought on somebody who's just done a, a great research paper. Uh, on this subject, on, on crypto dark pools. And that is Muhammad Yusuf. And he is a uh, research analyst over at Delphi Digital. And he is here to talk with us about dark pools today. So Muhammad, thank you for coming on uh, Leviathan News. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I, I kind of explained dark pools the way that I kind of know it, right? Um, but maybe you could go a little bit more into detail about like what is the reason that like these dark pools exist in the first place? Like what, why do we need like big privacy? Uh, and, and, you know, why don't we have that sort of like private trading here in, in crypto yet? Right. Um, so dark pools specifically cater to, you know, institutions or whales, um, you know, uh, if they, if at all, they'll have to, you know, move uh, large orders. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and if these orders were to be seen in open markets, they definitely you know affect the price of the asset that's being bought or sold. It would be uh, you know pretty inconvenient for the trader themselves, 
and also for the broader market as uh, you know the price shifts um, and I, I guess i use this example pretty often let's say i was a dao or a protocol uh, or a whale right uh, where i have considerable stake uh, with one particular token and if i had to offload or uh, let's say even buy uh, you know this particular token uh, and if i were to go into the open market uh, in a decentralized exchange and you know place my orders uh, it would have uh, you know some consequential effect you know within the community of that particular token and with uh, and it will also end up in affecting its market cap uh, and a lot of other protocol mechanics you know that would be tied to uh, the price of the particular token um, and dark pools you know they cater uh, for exactly this particular issue uh, where you know I could freely you know offload or buy a particular token without you know anyone you know hearing about it. Um, and in crypto, right, a lot of OTC deals uh, happen over you know word of mouth, over Telegram groups. Um, uh, all of that, I guess, could you know find a place uh, within dark pools mm-hmm. uh, where a lot of trust issues would be uh, you know minimized. You wouldn't have to rely on the other person, you know, uh, correctly stating their details in their Telegram message. Um, it's a, it's, it's just a lot more trustless and uh, much more convenient. Yeah, yeah. We had on uh, Jason Leibowitz last week, and he was talking about for his clients at the institutional level. You know, he's only working with OTC desks that deal with like post-trade settlement, and uh, essentially what that is is that the institutions are entering into an agreement with the OTC desk saying like, okay, like we will settle in cash after the trade is complete. So send us your ETH, send us your BTC. We'll wait six confirmations. And as soon as we're done with that, then we're going to fire off uh, whatever sort of USD transaction or USDC or whatever. Um, this would help. And additionally, uh, the OTC desk knows all the counterparties, right? So that's, it, you know, if it, hopefully your OTC desk isn't trading against you, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. That would be also the risk as well, too. So the kind of base case for these dark pools, at least the way that I understand it, is that you can fully remove any sort of identifying information from the uh, from these trades and that you're able to uh, put all the trades into like a big black box where nobody really knows what's happening uh, and funds can kind of go in and out and... Uh, at the end of the day, everybody gets what they want and hopefully at the best execution price possible. Right. And the traders are also, you know, spared the premium fee that they'd have to pay uh, mm-hmm. to the OTC desk for, you know, facilitating those uh, trades as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I I want to get into like the mechanics of how a uh, crypto dark pool kind of is set to function like what what are the kind of basic ideas of how these uh things operate right um so when it comes to you know privacy on crypto dark pools you have uh, two major aspects that's pre-trade privacy and post-trade privacy um so dark pools like um you know renegade right um, what they have in place is a relayer network that receives a particular order um, and order, deta- order details are encrypted uh, from uh, you know the relayers as well and anyone could operate as a relayer uh, and charge a fee to a particular trader right uh, based on whatever they desire 
Um, so this relayer network, as it receives the order, um, it uses uh, you know a few privacy-preserving you know technologies like MPC or FHG to uh, basically match orders among the relayers themselves. So you have a bunch of orders coming in to the relayers, and these relayers, right? Uh, they're a network, and they gossip orders among the, amongst themselves, and they match orders. All of that is done privately. And uh, you know, once an order is matched, um, a zk proof is uh, uh, you know released, and that is verified by another contract. Uh, so again, order details remain hidden even with the contract. Um, so this way, right? Um, there's uh, it's basically acts as a shield, right? Right from the point where the order enters, and right to the point where the order is settled. Yeah. Um, well, let's go, let's go back a little bit, right? So, uh, I mean, you write in your article, which yep. we have in the show notes, right? So an Ethereum transaction essentially is like recording uh, a state change, right? So there's two states, beginning state, end state, and then there's a transaction that changes it. Uh, yep. And that transaction is always going to be public, right? So the question becomes like, how do you, how do you have two state changes? Uh, and and hide all the information from everybody else, right? That's really kind of the core question of what's trying to be solved right. here in crypto, right? Um, right? And there's a bunch of different solutions out there, right? Um, like before we before we talk about like specific products, I, I want to go back to uh, Tornado Cash, which was uh, added to the OFAC list uh, this past year, right? Like, would you consider that a, a, like a quasi dark pool? In that, like, here's here's money, kind of coming into a uh, a shared pool, right? You can't really see what's happening on the back end, uh, and you have fixed amounts that can go in and out, right? Now, there is no swapping that's taking place, which I think a lot of these newer uh, uh, dark pool protocols are trying to facilitate. Uh, but it does break the 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 chain of of custody, and you don't really know who's using uh, Tornado. And it also relies on relayers to generate those ZK proofs, um, very similar to what is happening with the uh, current slate of, of dark pool protocols. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't think it would be that efficient of an exchange or a dark pool mm -hmm. uh, because uh, I think counterparty discovery will be a big issue mm. uh, because. Um, I guess if if you're the one depositing into you know Tornado Cash, uh, you'd be the one you know aware of that particular transaction, um, and you would have the know-how as to how to you know withdraw that particular set of funds on the other side. Um, so I guess when it comes to uh, you know uh, standalone mixers or rather uh, you know uh, protocols like Tornado Cash. Um, they are basically, uh, you know, a shielded uh, mechanism, right? Um, that do not have swapping capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, so again, counterparty discovery will be quite difficult uh, unless you personally know the other uh, other other party, right? Uh, who whom you can you know fully trust, uh, you know, using something like Tornado Cash as a dark pool. Uh, uh, 
Right. So I, okay. So let's take a, let's break that down a little bit more. So the issue with tornado cash is that you have like this shared anonymity set uh, between everybody. So when I deposit funds into tornado cash, you deposit funds, Garrett does as well too. Uh, since Garrett is a North Korean hacker, when he deposits funds into tornado cash, uh, it, it taints the entire anonymity pool because you're not able to tell who the counterparty is. And so this is like one of the bigger issues with the dark pools is that because these are institutional actors that are using them, uh, the there's a, a responsibility on their part to have either like KYB or KYC, all sorts of compliance protections to ensure that they're swapping with a another uh, acceptable party. Right. Yeah. Um, for sure in particular, right? Um, I think more recently, uh, Vitalik and I mean, Sulaimani and a couple of others came up with this uh, paper on privacy pools uh, that talks about uh, proof of innocence. Uh, with proof of innocence, you can basically prove that uh, the, the set of funds that you had deposited uh, in an anonymity pool uh, was not you know, mixed with uh, a particular a set of funds deposited by certain other addresses. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what proof of innocence uh, is all about. And I think that will basically, you know, help solve for, uh, you know, what you just mentioned about funds being mixed with, uh, um, you know, corrupted funds, uh, on the other hand, um, dark pools like, um, you know, uh, maybe Portalgate, or Renegade could also have this uh, proof innocence mechanism in place. Um, and when it comes to compliance in general, um, there are a couple of different ways, I guess, each of these dark pools are approaching them. Um, with, with Renegade, you basically have uh, different uh, keys for uh, different uh, interactions that you'd, uh, that you'd want to do uh, in the dark pool. For example, if you if you'd want to view a particular you know, wallet, would have a key for that if you want to send a transaction you'd have a key for that um so um so you could use that particular viewing key and uh you know reveal a particular uh, set of interactions within the dark pool um and uh protocols like you know portal gate what they have in place is uh, basically a zk kyc oracle um wherein whenever you're setting up a new wallet on portal gate uh, you'll have to, you know, do a KYC, a KYB with a traditional KYC provider uh, with the help of a ZK Oracle. Um, and you have a ZK proof, and you have this proof in your wallet, right? That's when your wallet is, you know, capable with port, or else, you know, you wouldn't be able to, you know, um, interact with a port gate without, a, without that particular proof. Yeah. So I've got this little schematic that you made up here that shows all the different uh, protocols that you, were, you mentioned in the article. You had Portalgate, Penumbra ZSwap, Railgun, Renegade, and then Panther uh, protocol yeah. as well, too. And so they all use like different ways of using ZK technology or maybe MPCs, um, what you call privacy enhancing technology or PETs. Yeah. Uh, fully hom fully homorphic uh, encryption as well too, uh, to be able to um, essentially hide the or like 
anonymize and make private these these transactions. So, like, can you run through the different technologies and kind of like run through the benefits and, and downsides of each? Because like I see five or six implementations here of these dark pools. Like, why would I choose one over the other? Like, what's what's the you know like if I'm looking at this from like a higher level, like what's the differences in these? Uh -huh. Um, so Renegade and Portalgate, they are pure play dark pools. They are intended to be dark pools. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, Penumbra or Railgun or Panzer. Wait, so, so when you, when you say like, uh, just to stop it there. So when you say yeah. Portalgate and Renegade are supposed to be dark pools, right? That means that like all the order matching and execution is, is done inside of the protocol itself. So like when coming back to like how a, a regular dark pool works uh there's like block orders that are being made essentially you you broadcast your your what kind of trade you want to make and the price that you want to execute the trade at and then somebody else has to come in and fill it right so that's right. that's what you that's what you're saying happens inside of these right that you have like all the execution and order matching and broad order broadcasting happens with inside the the protocol here right yeah. With uh, dark pools, orders are matched with other orders mm -hmm. by other traders, uh, you know, supply and meeting demand uh, within that particular dark pool itself. But with the case, uh, but in case of you know Panther or Railgun or Penumbra, um, orders are basically you know executed against uh, another liquidity pool, or uh, let's say uh, for Railgun, for example, right? It uses uh, 0x API that routes trades to a DEX aggregator. Um, and with Penumbra, what happens is you have orders, right? Uh, the sum of all orders in a particular epoch, they are executed against concentrated liquidity pools. Within uh, you have the sum of the details being revealed, but individual details. Um, and the same uh, Panther is pretty similar to Railgun in the sense that you know orders are routed to external uh, you know DEXs. Um, but yeah, with Portalgate and Renegade, it's you know order uh, order into order, uh, just orders crossing with each other. And that's what happens uh, with pure play dark pools. Yeah. Um, so and to your question about uh, you know how uh, these different privacy enhancing technologies are used. Um, with uh, with Renegade, right, uh, within the relayer network where orders are gossiped. Um, so uh, multi-party computation is used, you know, on those uh, relayer nodes uh, for order matching uh, because the orders are encrypted. No one else knows uh, what the order details are. Um, and with the case of uh, Portalgate, uh, what you have is again a set of nodes right receiving orders and uh, which are encrypted again and fhe uh, is used again on those nodes to help those you know encrypted orders you know match against each other um, so uh, in the case of you know both these dark pools uh, these you know privacy enhancing technologies are used to um, you know match orders privately uh, basically yeah, yeah. So just to just to come back to the the prime like so I see the primary difference between all these dark pools right is that uh, there are some dark pools that rely on internal liquidity to be able to facilitate trades right so for like Portalgate or Penumbra or Renegade 
they have to have traders like they have to have sell side traders who are coming in and essentially posting their offers saying like i want to you know i want to make this order and then someone else has to come in and fill that right so uh all the liquidity is is internal uh versus something like railgun or panther which essentially bootstraps liquidity from curve or uniswap or really any other dex or DeFi protocol that they can right uh and it's sure. not just it's not just amm swaps as well too uh, they have the ability to go out and deposit LP. They could interact with, say, Ave or Compound, uh, because they're they're like a more generalized pool where you deposit all of your assets into it. So think about it like this: where like you you have like a uh, a shared pool where institutional clients can like put all their assets into, and then they can interact with DeFi from that pool. And so you don't really know who is depositing from that pool, depositing, withdrawing. Uh, but those assets are getting sent out and then uh, used in DeFi. So uh, Railgun and Panther have like immediate liquidity from day one. There's no there's no need to bootstrap liquidity. There's no need to have to like go out and get people to sign up to your new system and try to get them locked in. It's just like, hey, we already have this. Come and use our, our privacy layer uh, so that you can uh, start, you know, obfuscating your... Uh, your wallets right because we all know that the big institutional wallets get tracked i mean you can go on dbank or like any of the other big tracking websites and you know see what everybody's buying right right <laughs> yeah right right right, right. yeah uh, and it's the same case with you know copy trading or any other you know wallet analytics uh, platform mm -hmm. um, if at all you end up using any of these you know privacy preserving you know protocols uh, you would most likely be, you know, exempt from, you know, all of that tracking and analysis. Yeah. So like when you're talking about like tracking analysis, uh, it's, there, there's two things that I want to touch on here. Uh, so the first is like MEV, right? Um, like what are the possibilities for MEV with these dark pools we just talked about railgun and Panther, which are using external protocols. So you know, their trades are going to make be made public and they will be subject to MEV because, you know, they're swapping through Uniswap or Curve and there's nothing that they can do to, you know, hide the their trade. So like the way that I understand Railgun and Panther is that there's a set of relayers who essentially take the transactions from the shared pool and then broadcast it out to uh, the mempool, right, to get the trades executed. Uh, and then once trades are executed, they bring that liquidity back into the pool. Uh, so there is there is MEV that could be extracted there. Uh, but what about for like Portalgate and Penumbra and Renegade? Is, is there also MEV opportunities there? Um, there could be, uh, you know. Uh, uh, but uh, mostly I'd say MEV is minimized to a great extent. Um, and in the cases where, uh, so Renegade, right? Uh, with Renegade, you could basically reveal certain order details uh, in order to attract more, uh, you know, liquidity or uh, a counterparty on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, if at all you were to do that, you would definitely be leaking information, and uh, that would potentially lead to some form of front running. Um, and uh, in the case of Portalgate, right, um, you do have. Uh, a clear, you know, demand to supply order matching mechanism running, uh, but but again, in the case of you know uh, shortage on the other side, 
you have orders that get routed to an AMM. Um, again, you, you have you know potential for you know capturing MEV uh, when orders are routed to this AMM. Um, so there's no you know hundred uh, percent you know proofing against MEV. There will be some form of leakage one way or another. Uh, just that with pure play dark pools uh, like Renegade uh, or Portugate, uh, those MEV capturing opportunities are uh, greatly reduced. Yeah. Yeah. So like within within those internal liquidity systems, you know, because everything, uh, the, both transactions, both sides of the transaction are private and everything's sourced internally, uh, it's much easier to uh, keep that information uh, hidden so that there's no MEV. Um, but for all the other ones, there is some, yeah. Right. So uh, you go ahead, Garrett. I was curious about the fees that are associated with these. Cause last time I looked into it, like the transaction fees were like much higher than you would see on like mainnet or L2s. Um, so like, is this like, would you consider this to be like the premium that people are paying for having this privacy? Uh, right. Uh, you could definitely call it that. Uh, because if we were to look at traditional dot pools, what you had is uh, you know, institutions paying somewhat of a monthly subscription fee to the dot pool operator. Um, and uh, what you have with you know dot pools in crypto, uh, you know it could be that you know additional uh, uh, you know premium of a fee that the protocol charges for each order that gets executed. Uh, but but still, in many cases, I think uh, you know if at all crypto dark pools were to you know significantly significantly grow over time, I'd say uh, order uh, I'd say you know the protocol fees would in general be I'd say you know on par or lower uh, than traditional you know uh, exchanges. Yeah, and so we have the the fees here. Uh, it's kind of small, I think. So uh, typically, the, I see the, the average fee is going to be about 20 basis points here uh, with yeah. Penumbra charging zero. But then on top of this, there's also like um, uh, gas fees, right? Right, right. There's gas fee. And then there's also a relayer fee that, um, you know, the trader would have to place. Um, and in many cases, right, uh, with poor relay or Renegade, um, you can choose to run your own relayer. Uh, in order to you know avoid paying that fees, um, and if at all you do choose to run your own relayer, um, I'd say it uh, it enforces greater privacy uh, to your respective orders than you know relying on some other uh, relayer to uh, you know trustlessly uh, relay that order. Mm -hmm. Well, here in America, Biden yeah. promised to cr crack down on junk fees. Do we have any hope there? Ah, <laughs> uh, sorry. Never mind. It's a bad joke. Okay, okay. Yeah, but... <laughs> um, so, like, what is the trust model that comes into these? Like, if I'm a institutional client, like, how can I be sure I'm getting good execution? Um, you know, everybody always says, like, you know, ZK can prove both sides, but, um, you know, like, what's the r risk and trust assumptions coming in with these dark pools? All right. Um, so, in traditional dark pools, you had to, you know, trust the dark pool operator. Um, and in many cases, uh, the dark pool operator, you know, was trading against its own customers or mm -hmm. leaking that information to other high frequency traders who trade against their customers. Um, 
and uh, I've made a mention of all of the violations that have occurred in the last couple of years. Um, about 340 million or so have been paid by these dark pool operators, uh, you know, to the SEC. Uh, but I think that pales in comparison to the gains that you know they would have made uh, by trading against their own customers. Um, and with crypto dark pools, you basically have this just assumption, you know, uh, solved for. Uh, you don't trust one particular operator. Um, and uh, in some cases where a relayer is receiving your order, um, they may have access to you know certain uh, details with respect to your order or to your wallet. Uh, but if at all you choose to run your own relayer, uh, which is, I guess, particularly easy uh, when it comes to dark pools, it's just a wallet most of the time. Um, you basically avoid that additional trust assumption as well. Um, and I wouldn't say it's 100% uh, you know, trust proof because none of them are live yet. Um, there's no actual saying you know, what's to happen. Um, but it is pretty easy to run your own uh, relayer. Uh, it's basically another wallet that ends up you know, receiving the order. Right, so of those five protocols that you just mentioned, like which ones are live right now? Um, so pure play dark pools, Renegade, Portalgate, they're still in development. Mm -hmm. Um, but with respect to the other privacy related protocols, uh, Railgun is live. Uh, um, Panther is live to some extent. Not all of its features are, uh, out there yet. Oh yeah. So like Panther is like in the middle of its testing stage. I think they have right. like two of two of their ninth step, <laughs> so have a, a bit of ways to go. Uh, right. and, and then how, where's Penumbra? Uh, Penumbra is also, you know, pretty much in development. Hmm. Uh, the, you know, the swap feature is not live yet. Right. So can I ask, like, when I look over this, if I'm like a big institutional client or even like the U.S. government trying to sell off like massive amounts of Bitcoin uh, that was seized, why on earth would I use these dark pools instead of just going to Coinbase and asking them to conduct the OTC on my behalf? Like who who's the like target like user here? Mm, yeah, just people who don't want to KYC. Uh, yeah, I'd say actually uh, these dark pools uh, do demand KYC. Uh, not all of them, but uh, you know those KYC measures or KYB measures are being put in place. Not to say that these KYC mm -hmm. measures will be accepted by the government or any regulatories. Uh, it's all in the unknown. Um, but as for who, uh, who as for whom uh, dark pools would be particularly useful for, right? I'd say it's these whales and other institutions that um, do not want to trust any one particular intermediary, right? Even uh, even if it's Coinbase, um, you know, there's no uh, saying what they could do with that particular uh, uh, you know order information. Um, as uh, I guess, as Sam mentioned, uh, in many cases, uh, you know, OTC desks, they trade against their own customers. Um, so if you're looking for, you know, uh, zero uh, information leakage or, um, you know, if you don't want to be front run, um, I think, you know, uh, pure play dark pools is your uh, go-to place. Because it is markedly different. I do want to bring up Uniswap X, which is a variation of cow swap um, 
and maybe we should show cal, cal protocol here because uh cal protocol here w w works like similar to how these dark pools work but there's no expectation of of privacy right so you you have relayers uh and you know as a as a maker you essentially come in and you like broadcast to everyone what price you'd like to get filled at uh, and then anybody can come in and, and fill your order right it could be liquidity that's in a centralized exchange uh, it could be from a uaa wallet it could be from a smart contract i mean really there's the the possibilities are endless about like where the funds could come from as long as they fill within the constraints of what the uh, desired intent is so let's say I have a million ETH, that's maybe it's a lot, 100,000 ETH, and I want to sell it. Uh, I can broadcast that out there and eventually somebody will come in and fill that trade, right? Uh, and hopefully there is good execution there. And uh, I think my understanding of the dark pools is that it's going to allow this, these sorts of trades that take place on Uniswap X or Cal Protocol to move into these uh, uh, anonymized venues uh, that operate in similar ways. Right, right. Uh, with Cow Protocol, what you have is uh, you know orders being routed or you know being solved for uh, mm -hmm. by the solvers uh, that get routed to uh, you know a host of different places, all public. Um, and with dark pools, what you want to maintain is privacy. Um, so it's not that you are, it's not that the solver or the renegade is uh, free to. Uh, you know, take their orders uh, wherever they wish. It, it has to be within those bounds of privacy. Uh, most of the time it is, you know, within that protocol, within those set of uh, relayers that uh, receive other orders privately. Um, so I'd say that's the difference between, you know, something like uh, cow protocol and something like, let's say, Renegade or Portalgate. Yeah. Now, is this, are these protocols that are being built, these uh, like quasi dark pools or anonymized execution layers uh, are these going to see retail usage in the future i mean is there we talk about we've talked about for most of this interview that these are mostly institutional uh, uh, infrastructure that's being built out to swap anonymously on ethereum uh, but what about for like myself or our north korean hacker garrett uh, <laughs> you know, like what, what if we want to go use these to keep our trades private? Like, is, is there any use in that? Especially like, I'm guessing these will be, uh, I know the Panther's already running on Polygon as well too. I'm sure a lot of these other ones are going to be on L2. So maybe the gas cars aren't going to be as high. Uh, so like as a, as a retail user, is this something that I'll be using in the next, you know, three to five years? Uh, likely not. Um, because uh, the order uh, values, right, uh, they're pretty much on the higher end. Mm -hmm. um, but as for, uh, you know, in a couple of years, I expect these dark pools to evolve into more than just being dark pools. Um, because, you know, in traditional finance, uh, dark pools are rarely hosted as one of products. Um, most of the time, they're a part of a much larger offering by, uh, you know, these central banks, sorry, not central banks, these institutional banks like Goldman or City or JP Morgan or, uh, you know, very well established exchanges like NASDAQ or uh, NYSE. Um, so I feel like, you know, crypto dark pools, uh, you know, for the sake of their business models would have to, uh, 
uh, either you know evolve into um, you know something more. Uh, let's say a dark pool could have um, a transparent uh, you know a normal regular dex attached to it uh, for you know better liquidity routing, uh, or have users you know shift over from uh, you know one avenue to the other as per the requirements, um, or um, general uh, you know privacy DeFi protocols like Panther or Raygun or Penumbra that are already you know kind of um, you know building for you know such uh, such a product offering uh, right Penumbra uh, they have uh, LPing uh, staking um, and then again you have these uh, set of orders that uh, are looking to get executed privately uh, so if you like uh, in that context you would have uh, you know, retail interact with some of these protocols, but uh, retails, particularly being interested in dark pools, I'd say uh, that that won't likely be the case. Mm. So you'd mentioned earlier that if you run your own relayer, for example, you can get quote unquote more privacy. Um, should I infer this to mean that if I just run it out of the box, I have less privacy? And what exactly is the potential privacy leakage there? Right. Um, so if you if you use if you if you choose to you know trust another relayer, uh, you basically give them access to view your uh, certain wallet details, certain transaction details, um, that that get encrypted by that relayer right before they are gossiped off to the whole network. But if you choose to uh, run your own relayer, you have the you know order encryption being done within your own bounds before it is sent off to the larger network. Uh, I'd say that's the difference. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead, Garrett. Uh, which of these have you personally used, if any? Um, so I've uh, played a bit around with Raylan. Um, and, uh, you know, Renegade and Panther, they're not uh, you know, all that out there, uh, they're still working on it. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to, you know, I'm, although I'm not a whale or anything, but I'm definitely excited to, you know, see how they play out. Yeah. Wait, can you talk about Railgun, like what that experience is like and what's possible right now using Railgun? Mm -hmm. Right. So with Railgun, what you end up doing is, uh, you, you create this uh, private wallet, encrypted wallet, uh, uh, through um, through this you know, wallet provider called Railway Wallet, um, and you use that particular wallet or any other you know third-party wallet that's uh, designed for Railgun to interact with this uh, Railway Dex. You place your orders there. Uh, you have them you know executed, um, and you know, once those executions are in place, uh, let's say if you're looking to withdraw, you have those funds, you know, back in your railway wallet. And um, again, from your railway wallet to your, you know, other uh, anonymous or pseudonymous address. So obviously you're not in the United States. Um, you probably don't have to worry about this as much, but earlier this uh, month, the Biden administration kind of hinted that they're going to be cracking down on what they called mixers. Um, like, and we've seen in the past that they didn't really particularly care too much about the actual, like technical underpinnings of this. They just kind of decided whatever they want to call it is a mixer is good enough for them to kind of attack. 
So, like, what risks would I, as a U.S. citizen, possibly have if I put my net worth into this? Does that mean I'm never going to be able to take it out of, like, Railgun or one of these in the event that they, like, get big enough that they're on the government's radar? Um, I think, you know, that's one of the, I guess, additional risks that uh, come up with dark pools. Um, although, you know, they are trying uh, a couple of different ways to ensure that they, you know, comply uh, with, uh, you know, with regulations, with uh, OFAC sanction lists. Um, there's uh, there's uh, definitely a lot of uncertainty with respect to how, uh, you know, the ACC or any other regulator within the U.S. would view these dark pools. Um, I'd say it's a pretty open risk out there. Um, if at all, um, you know, some of these dark pools or privacy protocols do get significant enough to get noticed noticed by these uh, players, I'd say, um, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, they're not really all that impressed by the tech. Uh, so we could, you know, potentially get into a bit of a pickle there. Um, but yeah, I'd say the regulatory risk is pretty uncertain. So basically, yeah. if I'm using them, I should only use it with wealth I never plan to bridge back to <laughs> like the fiat economy, right? Like I should just assume it's going to be stuck on chain forever. Right. Or, you know, in any case, if you do decide to, you know, move out of the US, uh, I'd say even then it would be applicable. Don't tempt me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh that is a risk that i guess you're taking by using these i mean from what i've seen there's a common theme across many of these dark pools so not railgun but with panther and i believe also with renegade and penumbra is that they're building in and potentially portal as well too is that they're building in compliance uh, at the protocol level so you would need to be uh, KYC'd or go through some sort of KYB to be able to get a, a uh, like a token or some sort of soulbound NFT or something that is able to to prove who you are and then allow you to use these uh, anonymizers. Uh, right. Uh, and in the case of Portal Gate, right, they also have backdoor access uh, for regulators. In, in, in any case, if they do... Um, you know, have a legal permit, uh, mm -hmm. they can end up viewing a particular, you know, addresses, uh, funds and transaction details. Uh, but it's a, you know, all of this KYC, KYB gymnastics, they're all still unproven. Um, they are not, uh, you know, greenlit by any regulator. Uh, so there's definitely uh, some major compliance risk with that rules in crypto. Mm -hmm. and there's some good comments coming in from ETH Merger who pointed out something we talked about earlier on the show, which is Railgun's proof of innocence. And I'm definitely aware of the concept of it. I just think that when the U.S. comes in, all guns blazing, they're not going to care about it, right? They're going to ban it first and then make, shift the burden to you to go to the courts and then prove your innocence. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the bigger issue, like, again, we talk about, like, the government coming in and shutting everybody down. But really, you have to get to size first. And my biggest question is like the chicken and egg problem of liquidity of how do you get liquidity into your, into your protocol when there is none, people want to trade, 
with liquidity, but there is if there is nothing to trade there, they're not going to go there. So how do you bootstrap that? And uh, have these protocols said anything about how they're using either a token or some sort of strategy to get liquidity in? Right. Uh, so Portalgate, right? They initially had this plan of uh, you know bootstrapping liquidity on their AMM. Uh, that would help, uh, you know, match orders on the dark pool side of things. Um, but again, I'd say it is, uh, for pure dark pools at least, it is uh, certainly uh, quite difficult to bootstrap liquidity. Um, and uh, I guess that's where that idea comes in, right? You'll have to be more than just a dark pool. You'd have to have, you know, some or the other, you know, product offering that you have, you know, people coming in and using it for, um, and um, I, I guess you know, there's this uh, one particular example from you know back in the days. Um, there's this uh, traditional dark pool, uh, right? I think it's called uh, LiquidNet, um, if I'm not wrong. Um, they also had the problem of you know bootstrapping liquidity, um, and um, by their estimates, uh, they would have uh, had to have about a hundred institutional investors, uh, you know, be a part of their network from day one uh, to you know properly facilitate orders on both sides. Um, so I feel like you know crypto dark pools would also have to you know end up uh, setting something up similar, wherein they have a bunch of institutions that want to be a part of that, uh, their network, right? And they, uh, you know, offer liquidity uh, or, you know, just place uh, orders and, you know, counter orders and wait for things to, you know, hit a critical mass. Um, and actually about LiquidNet, um, they ended up, you know, bootstrapping with 38 instead of 100. Um, so I feel like the, uh, there's uh, definitely some momentum that has to be in place for them to, you know, take off. Yeah. And so the, the two protocols that we talked about with Railgun and then also Panther Protocol will be sourcing outside liquidity. So uh, it, for more, for them, it's more a question of how do we get assets in here in the first place to be paying our relayers and transacting through us uh, instead of having to set up this whole internally source uh, liquidity layer. So different models. Uh, we'll see, I guess, over the next year 18 months how this plays out and which protocols are favored by the market um, if anybody is interested they can come and find your uh, i believe you wrote this on medium yeah or no sorry this was on sorry substack yeah we don't we don't like medium around here because <laughs> uh, they ask you they ask you for your like uh, they give you like five articles a month now it's very strange uh, but we have your research. It's going to be linked in the show notes. Uh, it's called Diving Into Dark Pools, and it's part of your Substack distributed research. Uh, and it covers everything. It's very, it's very long and in-depth and uh, does a, uh, a great job of, of explaining everything that we discussed here today on the episode. Uh, so, Mohammed, where can people find you? And and where can uh, they read more of your stuff? All right. Uh, so I'll be posting more on uh, distributed research on Substack and uh, also on, of course, uh, Delphi's platform. 
um, you know, uh, I I'm on Twitter, um, you know, yusuf xzy uh, same on Telegram. Um, so if you really want to chat about anything, uh, you know, feel free to drop a text. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I, I learned a lot about uh, the upcoming explosion of dark pools, hopefully, <laughs> that we're going to see in 2024 and beyond. So thank you for being here. And for everybody at home, make sure to subscribe to Leviathan News on YouTube. Also, uh, if you are out and you want to listen to these episodes in long form on your headphones, we put them up on whatever sort of podcast platform that you're using every single day. Uh, you can go to Spotify, uh, where you can actually watch this video in HD, or you could go to Apple Podcasts and listen there. Um, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Telegram, where we have like up to the minute headlines about the most important topics in crypto and DeFi. Um, I want to thank you for coming on today, Mohammed. Also for you being here today as well too, Garrett. On a Monday, nice and early. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, I believe we have a guest. It's not in my calendar, but we do. I think we do have it a guest. Uh, Fig from, uh, I don't know how that's pronounced, Fig, Figway from uh, Paladin. Oh, great. Paladin B2, Quest V2. Awesome. So yeah, come back tomorrow to learn more about Paladin. And on Wednesday, we have a special announcement from Jack Melnick of Polygon, who apparently is debuting some information here that, that isn't released yet. Uh, on Thursday, we have Faultproof Ben from Arbitrum, who's coming, or not from Arbitrum, but who's coming to talk about Arbitrum Gaming. Uh, and then on Friday, we have uh, Hardware Wallet Rider, fresh off of Solana Breakpoint, who is going to come in and give us a product demo of their brand new hardware wallet. So uh, make sure to tune in every single day at 10 a.m. Eastern for all the latest crypto news. Um, and we usually do a wrap up, but we're at the top, we're close to the top of the hour. So we'll see everybody again tomorrow. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Bye, guys. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye bye.